0: Welcome to Waste Away, the intermittent fasting podcast. If you want to learn how to lose weight for life through intermittent fasting, burn fat, heal your thyroid and autoimmune issues, and break the bondage of food, then this podcast is for you. I'm Chantel Ray, author of Waste Away: The Chantel Ray Way, and each week I have different guests answering your questions. If you haven't had a chance to pick up your copy of Waste Away, visit chantelrayway.com/podcast and you'll automatically get 20% off the book, audiobook, recipe book, coaching and inner circle Facebook group. Remember the thoughts and opinions in this podcast do not constitute medical advice.
1: Hey guys, Aaron here. Before we get started, I just wanted to remind you that you can find our full podcast episodes on our YouTube channel. Not only do you get to see Chantel and our guests, but you also get to see any charts, graphs, or pictures that we may mention. Search Chantel Rayway on YouTube or click the link in the show notes. And if you would like daily accountability as well as a resource with lots of helpful tips about Chantel's intermittent fasting lifestyle, head on over to ChantelRayWay.com coaching. As always, enjoy the show.
0: Hey guys, I am so excited about today's podcast and you've heard her last week, but we just had so many questions. We had to bring her back again this week. And so please welcome again for part two, Kristen Savory. Welcome back, Kristen.
2: Thanks Chantel. Thanks for having me back.
0: All right. So let's dive in because we have a whole bunch of questions. Let's get right into this next question. This is Denise in Little Rock. I've tried to cut out most dairy since they seem to affect me negatively, but lately I've heard more and more people mentioning raw dairy, saying it's a healthier alternative. Some people are saying it's illegal though. Is this true and where can I get it safely and legally?
2: Yeah. Where, where, where what state is this question coming from?
0: Little Rock, Arkansas, which okay. my mom lives in Jonesboro, Arkansas. Oh, that's great. Well, again, the, um, the raw milk question is a
2: state by state legislation. So people need to go to realmilk.org
1: to mm.
2: know if their state, um, if there is a way to be getting raw milk products. I happen to live in Colorado. Colorado is a state where you can buy a part of a cow and then you can use those cow products however you want. So I do get a raw milk delivery every week. Okay? Wow. I know.
0: It's so great. It's awesome that um, in Colorado we have that access. And I actually, I've never tried raw milk before. Just, um, But have do you notice a huge difference if um, you, do you feel like if I have raw milk first, do you, like, let's just say you're, some, let's say you were, on a cruise and they didn't have raw milk will you eat regular will you have regular milk or will you just say forget it no thank you I'll just wait till I get home and have raw milk
2: yeah I probably I I probably it would depend I would probably take the hall pass on it probably but again like you know if I was really missing like my dandy blend drink or something like that and I didn't have any other alternative in terms of a milk product then I would maybe use it um so it would probably be a case-by-case case thing, how long I had been without my dandy blend drink, all sorts of stuff. stuff like and,
0: that. and what is the difference between raw dairy and regular dairy?
2: Yeah, so, um, so raw dairy is straight from the animal. So whether that is goat, sheep, or cow, they would milk that animal, and then they'd bottle it, and that's it. So there's no heating process whatsoever. When something becomes pasteurized, there's a bit of a misnomer around that. They pasteurize to a level that the calcitonin, or it's not calcitonin, um, ooh, I'm confusing. There's a certain enzyme that they, that they pasteurize to when that enzyme is burned off. So it's really not about bacteria count at all. They've decided that this heat level is related to this enzyme, okay? But the key is, is that we need that enzyme to integrate calcium in our body. Very few people make that enzyme. And I apologize, the name of the enzyme is just slipping from me in this moment. So what is interesting to note is that In the United States, we have the absolute highest dairy consumption of the world, and we also have the highest rate of osteoporosis. So it's not that important that calcium is in our dairy products. It's whether the enzyme is present to make that calcium utilizable for our body.
0: So let me repeat back what I heard you say. So... When, when you have the raw dairy, a lot of people can digest that raw dairy, but when you have pasteurized dairy, there's an enzyme that's produced in that processed dairy and that when it goes into your digestive tract, you don't have the enzymes to process it when it's in that pasteurized state.
2: Yeah, and it just came back to me. It's the phosphatase enzyme. Men have a little bit more of it because they make it in their testes. Women have almost none of the phosphatase enzyme. So think about how many older women you know that are suffering with osteoporosis, bone loss, even that are starting to have to get um, bone grafts for their teeth and stuff like that, although they've been having dairy products their whole life. Now, not only is that phosphatase enzyme gone, but then we also have to think about the other molecules. Protein changes under heat, fat changes under heat as well. So from the people that I study with, you know, they believe that milk should, pasteurized milk should have a totally different name because it's not the same as nature's
0: milk. Okay, perfect. Kelly in Murfreesboro. I think that's right. When it comes to eat, trying to help heal my thyroid naturally, what are some of the best foods that I can eat and will my diet really make a difference? I'm so tired and I don't want to feel this way for the rest of my life. What should I eat and what should I cut out?
2: Yeah, great question, and yes, 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 your diet makes a huge difference in terms of how your thyroid gland is functioning. Um, let's see, in terms of like foods to really integrate, there's, there's two pieces to this question that I'd, really, that I'd like to address. Number one is I like to use my hands in terms of helping people determine uh, portion sizes, right? So protein, I like to suggest that people have protein that's about the size of the palm. Protein is about the size of the palm. Vegetables, we look at two hands worth of vegetables. Carbohydrates, I'm looking at three fingers. And fats and oils, I'm looking at about a thumbs worth over the food, okay? So I like to maintain that kind of balance so that we can get the best blood sugar response throughout the day. Now if we're looking at particular food items that we want to kind of bring in to support the thyroid naturally, we're looking at true vegetables. So the definition of a vegetable is anything that goes to seed versus having the seed on the inside. So a tomato, is that a fruit or a vegetable? fruit exactly collard greens fruit or vegetable
0: vegetable
2: that's it right there avocado fruit or a vegetable fruit Fruit. right so what i find is that most people think they're eating vegetables but they're actually eating fruit right most people are having red peppers cucumbers um um, tomatoes, avocados, and it's not that those foods are bad, but they're not true vegetables. So if we can sneak in more true vegetables, that is a great way to support your, your thyroid. Mm-hmm. I love things like seaweed. I love garlic. Um, I really believe in having clean, lean meats is really healthy for the thyroid as well. All of those things that are going to bring a more of an overall balance to the whole system, that's what's going to help support the thyroid. Awesome.
0: Melanie in Manassas says, I've loved hearing from so many doctors on your podcast lately, but I don't have a super technical mind. And sometimes I'm having a hard time keeping up with their lingo. I really want to understand the difference in T4 and T3 and what I need to be looking for when I have my blood work done. Can you or your next guest explain this really simply?
2: Yes. (laughs) Great question. Anytime that we can keep things simple, our clients are going to be more empowered and they're going to be able to ask the critical questions to bring them closer to their health. So this is great. I, you know, so many people have, um, have, uh, a lot of complicated protocols. First things first, ask your doctor for a TSH test. TSH stands for thyroid stimulating hormone. It is the most basic panel that you can get. And no, it does not show everything that could be happening in relationship to your thyroid, but it is a place to
0: start. And let me, let me tell, sit, stop you right there because we've had different people on the show. And you know, if you look at those tests, they say between 0.5 and 4.5 is normal range. And we've had different doctors and different experts say, look you know, people, we've had people feel their best when they're one and under or two and a half and under. And, you know, they're saying that four and a half is a normal range. But when we see people that are four and a half, they're like dead as a doornail. So what would you say for you, you've seen people like for me, um, I, when my thyroid was at a four and a half to To five which they're saying is normal I couldn't even function I was so tired
2: I totally agree and what I'm looking for in a a TSH range is I want like 1.7 to 2.3 okay so as soon as that TSH gets to 2.5 and higher I'm looking at I want to have more testing I want to see what's going on past that but to keep it very simple TSH we're looking at between 1.7, 2.3. That keeps it very manageable for my client to be able to track what's going on with their system.
0: So when you hear people saying, you know, when my TSH is, you know, between 0.5 and 1, that's when I feel the best, what, how would you respond to that?
2: When the TSH is at a low level like that, technically that is veering towards a hyperthyroid okay? Hyperthyroid is probably the trickiest situation to work with considering our culture because hyperthyroid people, it tends to be a transitory state. So it's not a sustainable state in the system. Hyperthyroid eventually crashes and generally crashes to a total adrenal burnout, thyroid burnout. It really isn't a good situation. Where it gets really tricky is that we live in such a fast-paced society that that people um, aren't very good at recognizing a neutral state. Right? We lean towards running quicker, getting more things done. Um, we lean towards anxiety almost. Right? How many people do you know, like, almost create problems where there isn't a problem because we like that charge? So most people will say that they feel really good at that hyperthyroid level,
0: but I question whether that's sustainable, whether that's actually healthy. Gotcha. Great. Patty in North Carolina says, I've heard doctors say that I need to wait four to six weeks between thyroid checkups to see a real difference, but I've been doing self-tests that I bought online almost weekly, and I notice a change each week. Why does the doctor need say that I need to wait four to six weeks to see a difference? Patty in North Carolina. Mm -hmm.
2: I actually prefer to wait longer than the four to six weeks, (laughs) but... um The reason why a lot of medical doctors want to do that is, again, we want to see what the thyroid's doing over the course of time. And we don't really have um, great testing around that yet. There really isn't. There are some metabolic tests that start to lean in that direction. But even those metabolic tests, I I question um, how accurate they are. So when we're looking at... um, any particular day, because the endocrine system is a live system, it's relating to how much sleep you've got, what the weather pattern was. Um, It's also relating to uh, the season. We will get fluctuations day by day. Those fluctuations shouldn't necessarily be extreme, but they will be present. So if we test too soon, we might actually be connecting more with the fluctuations
0: versus the true health of the gland. Awesome! Hey guys, I'm so excited that my new book Waste Away, the Chantel Rayway, is now available on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, and pretty much anywhere you can find books. But we also have the audio book, the ebook, and my new recipe book that you can download. All the recipes that I love that I make, and it's super cheap. It's all my favorites. Anyway, if you have a minute to write a review on Amazon, I would be ever grateful. Okay, Paula in Charleston. One of my friends went in for Botox and her doctor said that there are some hormones that you can insert via your booty that will help with anti-aging in case you have issues producing hormones on your own as you age. Have you heard of this and is it safe?
2: Well, her doctor's right. You can do that. You can do that. In, uh, in my opinion, again, I try to veer people more towards supporting the glands than supplementing hormones directly. Anytime that we supplement hormones directly, whether that's orally or through the skin and into the, um, the muscle tissue, we override our glandular system. So instead of, because I don't have information on the booty hormones right now in terms of what she's exactly taking, let's, let's, use, let's use progesterone as an example. Anytime that you are supplementing with progesterone, whether that's pregnenolone or progesterone cream, anything of that um, hormonal cascade, you're actually telling your system at a glandular level that it doesn't need to work. So the glands itself actually start to atrophy because your body will start to relate towards what the input is uh, from that hormone that you're supplementing with. Does that make sense? Yes, it does. So I don't don't like working that way because I wanna provide as much support for the whole system as I can so that you make the right amount of hormones for you based on whether you're pregnant, whether you're lactating, whether you're moving towards menopause, whether you're a 13-year-old girl who's just starting her cycle. You know, I really trust that supporting the glands themselves, then the body will have the chance to make the hormonal proportions correct for them.
0: All right. Perfect. Kelsey in Virginia Beach. I've read that fermented foods are good for digestion. When I think fermented, the only thing that comes to mind is sauerkraut. Yuck. Is there anything that is fermented and actually tastes good, or should I just stick with a good probiotic? And I would like for you to talk, you know, there's a lot of talk now about probiotic and prebiotic, um, and what is your thoughts on that? Do you think you should be taking a probiotic and prebiotic? Talk about that for a second.
2: Yeah, let's start with probiotic. And this, this might be a little interesting for your crowd. Um, and please follow up with questions if you have that. So probiotic material, um, I'm much more of a fan, again, of getting it from Whole Foods versus in a probiotic form. And there's two reasons for that. Have you ever traveled to Mexico?
0: Yes. Have you gotten sick in Mexico, or know somebody who's gotten sick? I know somebody. Yeah, my my. Well, I've I've known my husband. We he went on a missions trip to uh, Bolivia, and he he went to Cochabamba, Bolivia, and they call it the Cochabamba two step, where you can only and they say you can only be two steps away from the toilet. That's why it's called the Cochabamba two step. Um, but he has gotten that. I haven't because I only stay at five star resorts and I like bare, you know, I only drink bottled water and, you know, just really kind of am super careful.
2: Yeah, but that is a great example. So your husband, he already knows in his body that the bacteria in his home, in his community is quite different than what he experienced in Bolivia, right? He had a very different reaction to it. And sometimes people can even experience that from going from Colorado to San Francisco. I've had people have bacterial reactions just from, you know, the food that they were served in San Francisco. So what we're, what we're showing in that case is that bacteria isn't just bacteria, right? So what is kind of natural for you might not be what is natural for me, which certainly isn't what's natural for your husband, right? Because he got sick in Bolivia, right? Mm-hmm. So so I always question, who's to say that the bacteria that's in that probiotic is the one that's actually right for me? Now, you can do all sorts of fancy testing and put labels on this and kind of explore this further if you want. But in my opinion, it's kind of it's kind of it's a lot of resources, it's a lot of, a lot of time.
0: And it's, it's expensive. Of- it's very expensive. So yeah. so what kind of probiotic foods would you say, hey, I eat XYZ and I really do better with this?
2: Yeah, well, let's hold off still one minute. Uh-huh. Let's let's continue looking a little bit deeper into this probiotic material because there's other pieces of it that's really important for consumers to understand. We know that probiotic material, that's a bacteria, right? And again, going back to sixth grade science now, not seventh grade, but sixth grade science, we would have these Petri dishes, and you had to keep that bacteria alive, right? Do you remember doing
0: that? Yeah, I do. I always picked a really smart, I hated science, (laughs) I have my degree in math, but I always picked, like, the smartest guy in science, so I pretty much slept through science, because you always were, like, partners with somebody, so, like, that is one subject I feel like I'm so dumb in, because I was like, oh, I'll just trust you to do all the work, and didn't, you know, just kind of, I made it fun, and kind of made them laugh, but... Didn't do much.
2: Yeah, and regardless of what our participation was, most of us still remember, we had to feed that thing every day and we had to kind of keep track of its growth, right? So now your probiotic material is really no different. It's a bacteria. That's a living one-celled or sometimes two-celled organism that needs to be fed, right? Lactobacillus acidophilus, that is an acid-loving bacteria that lives on lactose, okay? When you break that word down, lactobacillus acidophilus, that means acid-loving bacteria that must eat lactose. So first of all, if you're dairy-free, if you don't have any lactose in your system, is that bacteria gonna thrive? No, because it needs to have lactose to perpetuate, to grow, to live, to move. It's a one-celled organism. If the food is not supplied, it will not proliferate. So that's just within your system. But now let's take a look at it in the bottle. Is there lactose, are they providing lactose for that organism to live in that bottle? Because keep in mind, they might've put 2 billion organisms in that capsule, but were those organisms fed? So by the time that that product is capsulated and
0: then it goes to the warehouse and then it goes to the store and then it sits on the shelf. Or if you order it from Amazon in the summertime and it's, you know, they leave it on your doorstep and it's 110 degrees outside. Yeah.
2: How many of those organisms are still alive by the time you open that bottle and start taking them. Mm -hmm. I just don't think that's cost effective. And I don't believe that it is, um, that it is as supportive to the body as what we can do. Because what I would like to see happening is I would like to see your husband, you, myself, uh, somebody's child, proliferating the bacteria that's in their system that's working well. So the best way to do that is with fermented foods. And I agree that not all fermented foods come supernaturally to Americans, but some do.
0: Pickles. Name some. Oh, pickles. I love pickles. 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 You know what's funny? My son always, like every day he asks for a pickle. Like he loves
2: so okay. if you're not getting the ones that are, like, sweet and sugared and all this other stuff, a really mm. high-quality pickle, that mm-hmm. is a perfect fermented food. Okay, Your Yogurt is a fermented food. Now, again, we can't buy the fruit on the bottom and the sugar all over it yogurt. We need to buy um, probably a plain-flavored yogurt that doesn't mm. have a lot of sugar in it, but okay. that's fermented food kefir k-e-f-i-r that's a fermented yogurt drink again not buying the sweetened version vanilla almond chocolate flavored but buying the plain kefir and maybe adding a few blueberries or adding a flu- a few strawberries to it that is a fermented food um Depending on where you live in the country, I mean, I live in Boulder, Colorado, where there is an artisanal um, bread store on every corner, and there's, there's a natural food store within two minutes walking distance everywhere all over really oh my goodness come
0: visit (laughs) you know what a friend of mine i sean cooper um who used to work at our company he moved there but he moved to colorado but i'm wondering what city he was in i have to ask him
2: i'll tell you Boulder, boulder and denver are just mecca for um for, um, natural holistic match natu- and natural holistic foods I it's amazing mm. so we can our wow. sourdough bread if it's made correctly that's a fermented food Wow um, now uh, I think it was this question and maybe it was a question before where we were talking about dairy uh, Cheese products can be a fermented product, but what we need to look at is, is it a slow aged dairy or is it a fast-age dairy? Slow-age dairies, so like your cheddar cheeses, those harder cheeses, those are challenging for low-thyroid people. But low-thyroid people can get away with fast-age dairy. So anything that is cultured overnight Buttermilk, yogurt, kefir, cottage cheese, ricotta, um, special mozzarellas—very high-quality mozzarellas. Uh, Low thyroid people can tolerate those, and they're
0: also a fermented food. Wow! You just opened that door. (laughs) Yes, open up. Maybe I should start having dairy again. Maybe this this is exciting news because I love dairy. I have. It. And it just, I just, my number one goal right now is to just really get my thyroid into functioning order. Yeah. So, so thanks again, Kristen, for coming on our show and we will put in the show notes, uh, kristinsavory.com is how to reach you and, um, anything else that you want to tell listeners before we, we end today.
2: Yeah, Chantel. Well, first, thanks so much for having me. And um, second, I think I would just really encourage your listeners. There's there's so much information out there about health and wellness. And I would really encourage um, people to test. And then also, and when I say test, try new things, be open uh, to suggestions, but then really feel. Feel what is working well for them. Feel what needs to be adjusted, and um, and 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 really use them themselves as a as a barometer. In that way, they can become probably the best healthcare provider that they can find.
0: That's exactly right. You have to see what works for you. Let me ask you: Do you? What is your opinion on those food allergy tests? Where they, you know, you. Send it in. You know, I've done them probably about I don't know four different times in my life, and every time it says something different that I'm allergic to. Like this time, it says I'm allergic to eggs. This this time, it says I'm allergic to pineapple. One time, it said I'm allergic to lettuce. Right. So, so what is your opinion on those?
2: I'm not a very big fan of those in general, Chantel. Reason being is twofold. Number one. I believe that it kind of brings in a little bit of a neurotic relationship with food where you start scared of what you're eating and, you know, hormones, there's such a big cascade that goes along with that. Emotions play a big piece. Food plays a big piece. It's more than just a linear relationship. And so if it's going to create a lot of stress when you're eating. I can't have that. I can't have this. um, It makes it hard to eat in community. I don't believe that that stress is worth it or has a positive effect on the system. Got it. Yeah, and then I would say it also kind of relates back to one of our very first questions that maybe aired last week is that when there's a low-functioning thyroid, by definition, there's not enough hydrochloric acid in the system. And so we're not digesting food properly in the stomach. Mm. If the food's not being digested properly in the stomach, we're adding more and more burden later in that digestive tract. Mm. So, so allergies can start to come up. Because food's not being digested in the stomach. So that issue needs to be cleared first. I find that so many people get over their food allergies not by eliminating the food, but by addressing the cause, supporting their endocrine system with a, with a full-range glandular product, and also by bringing on something that is addressing the symptoms like hydrochloric acid. And then that will take enough stress off of the system that they won't have the same responses to food that they're used to.
0: That is great. That is great advice. Well, again, it's been awesome talking to you. And we'll see you next time, folks. And if you have a question, if you want them answered. And trust me, folks, we do get a lot of questions. So if you didn't get answered this week, we'll try to answer it in a few weeks. We've got questions Um, from weeks back that we haven't been able to insert, but we will get to them. We do save them. So questions at ChantelRayWay.com and we'll see you next
1: time. Thanks, Kristen. Thank you, Chantel.